How often do you look for treasure in life scars? In what ways can we look after our mental and emotional health? And who are you having open and honest conversations with? Welcome to the Kintsugi Hope Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Hope Virgo. Um, welcome, Hope. It's great to have you with us. Um, Hope, would you mind introducing yourself to our lovely listeners? Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, yeah, so my name's Hope Virgo and I am an author and mental health campaigner. So I spend the majority of my time in schools, um, in hospitals and universities, running workshops on eating disorders, body image, mental health. And then the other part of my time is spent irritating the government. So kind of doing a lot of campaigning work, getting them to focus more on eating disorders, diagnosis. Um, and making sure that when people do present with eating disorders or disordered eating, there is some support available for them to, so they can access treatment in the right way. Um, and I've been doing it probably for about four years, um, which, yeah, absolutely, I absolutely love what I do. I feel very lucky to do what I do, actually. That's great. And why do you do what you do? I guess is a good, good question to ask next. Uh, I, I've had my own experience of living with an eating disorder. So I first developed anorexia when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, and it just completely took over my life for the next four years. Um, I lied a lot. I rebelled quite a bit, um, hid it from everyone around me. And I think for me, like after, even when I went into treatment that first time, I was always really passionate about helping people and trying to make people understand about eating disorders. I think there was back then, kind of 12 years ago, a huge amount of stigma wrapped up in eating disorders, a lot of shame, a lot of kind of just, yeah, that lack of understanding. And when I relapsed back in 2016, I actually realized that a lot of those issues are still current today. Mm. And so when I came through my relapse, I, um, I decided that I had to speak up about it, that I had to do something on it. Um, and yeah, so I kind of just started from there, really wrote a book, um, and then just started trying to push for that change. So pushing a lot around education. So making sure people do understand about eating disorders and what they're like. Um, and also a big thing for me is actually just making sure that people know that they're not alone in what they're struggling with. I think so often with eating disorders, people kind of hit these points where they kind of plateau and then you have to like push yourself a little bit further. And definitely in my experience, I have had those moments where I've settled and not really pushed myself. And I think particularly from like a faith perspective as well, like I've never had that instantaneous kind of healing. And mm -hmm. I feel like quite often when we talk about God and we talk about eating disorders, there is still a lack of understanding. There's all the shame again within that. And a lot of people are looking for that really kind of quick fix. And I'm like, it's not always like that. Like this stuff takes time and it's okay if it takes time, but we need to make sure that we're just pushing ourselves every day and we're not settling at maybe where we are. That's great. What do you, what do you think the root of eating disorders is? Would you say that it lies within perfectionism or is it, I guess it's different for everybody, but yeah, I wanted to touch on perfectionism. Do you think that that has anything to do with the root of eating disorders? Yeah. So I guess the first thing is like you said, like eating disorders affect everyone so differently and they're normally brought on very differently um so kind of whether it's a trauma issue I think 70% of people who have an eating disorder have been through some kind of trauma mm -hmm. and that isn't just I think in that point it's really important to remember that trauma isn't it isn't the massive things necessarily like 
being involved in a volcano, I don't know, being in a car crash, being in abuse, that it could be anything that has a traumatic, uh, feels traumatic for that individual. But I think <clears throat> that perfection, perfectionism then is so wrapped up in it. And it's really interesting, actually, because through the campaigning work I do and through the conversations that I have with people who have eating disorders, that is something that comes up time and time again. And so often with eating disorders, you don't feel enough as you are. So you're constantly striving to be enough and trying to be the best at something, to be perfect at having an eating disorder through calorie counting, through restricting, through getting your body to kind of shrink and be a certain size. And I think because of the way society is, and particularly with this whole kind of disordered culture we've got around food and bodies and eating in itself, mm. that again pushes that perfectionist nature so much further because we're constantly trying to be perfect in our bodies. And yeah, whilst eating disorders aren't just about body image, like that perfectionism linked with the body image, I believe is so intrinsically wrapped up in it. Yeah, that's so true. It almost beca- can become a bit of a competition, can't it? Yeah. Um, I know that I don't have like much experience myself with when it comes to eating disorders, but the little kind of exposure I do have, I've been aware that within the eating disorder, I don't know, I don't know whether community is the right world, world, I guess, like within that kind of sphere, there is the tendency for people who are struggling to become competitive with each other. Um, you know, my, you know, oh, well, I'm this size or I didn't eat this much today or I ate this much today or whatever it is. Um, why do you think that that, because obviously it's not a great thing to have a competition about. Why do you think that is? Where does that come from? Probably the perfectionism. Um, okay. I do also, I always, I always say that eating disorders are like the most competitive illness there is. Um, I'm sure some people might dispute that, um, but I do think it is, and it, it's really difficult because it creates these really toxic environments for people. Um, yeah. I think what's interesting with the competition is if you flipped it on its head and you became perfect at recovering and we were able to get people to see that, actually that perfectionism within the eating disorder could become a really, really powerful tool in yeah. someone's recovery but they have to have that shift in their head in order to do that. And I know like for me, definitely, like when I first was admitted um, as an inpatient to treatment, I was so competitive with everybody else in the room. And I was like comparing what I looked like. I was comparing what food they were all eating um, to the extent that I'd literally be analyzing exactly what was on my plate and working out whether my potatoes were the same size as someone else's. Right. And it's it's not even just that, like even on social media, like we're comparing our lifestyle with someone else's. And one of my big pet hates actually on social media is people who share exactly what food they're having in a day. Because when you have an eating disorder, you go into that competition and you're trying to kind of, yeah, like, I guess, compare what you're having and then thinking maybe I've had too much. Um, so it can, again, be really dangerous. And I think interesting, actually on that kind of social media aspect as well within the perfectionism within eating disorders is it's interesting because when you look at people who've had eating disorders um quite often when they're posting pictures of food their plate of food that they lay out is just perfect to look at Mm. and there's this real kind of focus on that and again i think that's a really really unhealthy behavior to actually have Um, so yeah i think yeah, I think it, it's so it's it can be really dangerous the competition. And I guess one more thing to add on that actually is 
a lot of the work that I do in schools, you see the competition coming up again, even when people haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder. And one student may decide that they are only going to eat X amount of calories a day. And then someone else thinks that's the thing to do. So they compete. They then start to reduce their calorific intake. And before you know it, you have all of these people kind of playing off each other. And it, it can be really challenging. And I, yeah, I, I don't know what comes first. I've often wondered that, whether it's the eating disorder that comes first or whether it's the perfectionism or whether that is just the trait of the majority of people who do have eating disorders. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think um, it's just such a comparison game, isn't it? And that and that's like outside of ED and that's outside of whatever it is, is, is everywhere. That comparison yeah. is everywhere. And like you said, social media, you can't escape it. Um, one of the biggest things that we've analysed in our work at Kinsiki Hope that is kind of a trait of, I guess, someone who maybe struggles with perfectionism is that inner critic. Mm. Like they're always um, criticising themselves to achieve a certain standard or that what they do isn't good enough, um, that they almost create this inner voice, um, which like we've all experienced that haven't we like when we've done something when we've stepped out or maybe we've had a job interview or on on the way home we're over analyzing everything we said oh did I answer that question right did I do this did I do that and I think it's really interesting to look at that in terms of how do we create a positive inner voice like mm -hmm. how do we replace those critical think think that critical thinking with positive affirmation that we speak over ourselves and I was listening to a podcast earlier today actually and one of the things that they were suggesting to kind of reinstate those positive messaging I guess they have the lady who was speaking she has a son and the son um, loves those um, crayons that you can use to draw uh, messages in the shower they're like they oh, cool. you, you can use them in the bathroom in the shower and on all the tiles in her bathroom her son has written a different like positive or the family have written positive things for them to look at so like um, whatever it is like you have a nice smile or you're doing a really good job at being a mum or the family will take it in turns every time to write a thing on the shower and she said the more that the more that you see those positive things that are true about you, the more you remember them over the things that are not true and the negative things. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so, that's so interesting. Have you ever experienced anything like that in terms of your inner critic? Like, is your inner critic very, <laughs> very vocal in your life? Like, <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> it's pretty bad um, to the extent that actually that even this week, I can't remember, it must have been like Tuesday morning yeah probably maybe Tuesday morning I literally it was so loud and I was like oh this is so annoying and oh it was so it was awful and so something I'm trying to do at the moment and I do have a very very critical voice in my head even to the extent I know when we've done some stuff together before like I'd leave those things and then I'd kind of email you and want that instant reassurance I'm like is it okay like was it what you wanted and even like probably after this, I'll be like, oh, I don't know if it was kind of what they needed. What they, And it's, it's, I get it all the time. And I think for me, it's a mixture of kind of feeling like, yeah, I'm not good enough at what I do. So that kind of whole imposter syndrome is one strand of it. And then also that kind of body aspect is another like strand of it as well. So 
not feeling good enough and that, worrying a little bit about that. And also, I guess, at the moment, um, I'm kind of stepping up my recovery with my eating disorder quite a bit and really kind of pushing myself to make that full recovery. But at the same time, kind of battling with those feelings of feeling really guilty that I've settled for so long. So I think juggling all of that. So over the last couple of weeks, um, I've been trying to, and I'd say I'm not great at it, um, but I'm getting better. Um, and I'm now thinking I'm probably going to buy myself some of those crayons so that I can do that in my flat. Um, but I made a list about three weeks ago of all the things that I felt about myself. So like that I felt really ugly, that I feel like my body's really horrible, um, that I'm rubbish at my job, that I'm bad at complaining, like this huge list. I'm not going to go into details about the list, but this literally mm. massive list of things on one side of a piece of paper. And then I drew a line down the middle of the paper and then I counteracted every single one of those thoughts. Wow. And it was really challenging to do and I felt really uncomfortable doing it. But as I started to do it, I was like, do you know what, actually, like this is, this is okay. Like I can do this. And I remember even on, like on Tuesday when I was then stood having a shower and I kind of looked down at my body and immediately I went into that really critical thing, kind of analyzing and was like, and then I was kind of like, what am I doing? So I kind of stopped it um, and just said really loudly in the shower, I'm beautiful, I'm enough, it's okay. And I didn't 100% believe it, but I think just by starting to interrupt that trail of thought, actually you gradually just start to be okay with yourself, but also you challenge that critic as well. And you start to feel just more like, yeah, I guess that you are enough the way you are. But I, I think it's really hard and I, I think it's even harder nowadays because everything is on social media. We have events that you get all this pressure on. And I know for me, actually, so I'm getting married this year and there's this whole pressure on the wedding and the comparison with other people's weddings. And do you know what? Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, that's the annoying thing with your criti inner, critic, inner critic, isn't it? It's like, actually, in the grand scheme of things, none of these things matter. No one else will realise like no one else will realize that I just stumbled over my words, but I know for me in like an hour's time, I'll be going over and over it being like, oh, what have I just done? Like, what, this is ridiculous. But it's, it's, that, it's that voice, isn't it? And we, we have to find a way to, I guess, challenge it. And yeah, I, I do think that the more we do challenge it, the easier it then gets. Mm, absolutely. Do you think then, I saw something else on social media this week, which was rather than telling your kids you are so proud of them tell them or say you should be so proud of yourself mm -hmm. so when they've accomplished something which then reinstills that message of self I guess not always relying on other people's affirmation to yeah. for your self-esteem and I was like oh that's really interesting um and obviously I don't have kids at the moment but it was actually something that I can use within my friendships as well so like yeah. and within when my friends have accomplished something being rather than saying I'm so proud of you only saying I'm so proud of you um which I still think is a really important message because I think it's good that we share that that we're proud of our friends and we're proud of their achievements mm. but actually I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it of going you should be so proud of yourself like feel good about yourself in this moment like recognize your accomplishment recognize that you've done a really good job because that's important it's an important place to almost put a stake in the ground and go yeah, yeah I accomplished something today and I'm really proud of myself for that um yeah, do you know what? I love that and I think something else on that yeah. is um kind of not like not not just the affirmations but not relying on people to do that stuff you want to do like if you want to have a bunch of flowers in your house 
don't wait for someone else to go and buy it buy yourself some like do those little kind of things and I think by doing that you just increase your self-worth and your appreciation for yourself as well absolutely yeah and that's something I've been doing recently actually like rather than expecting my husband to suddenly you know like pop through the front door and occasionally he does but sometimes I'm like you know what it's daffodil season I love daffodils like so I've gone gone out and bought myself a bunch of daffodils because they bring me joy so like it's it's that kind of it's acknowledging that you your opinion matters Mm -hmm. and like actually listening to that to that voice that you've got inside your head not just when it's negative listening to it when it's got something to say to you that's important I think that's really really great um so Hope you've written a book um you briefly mentioned it earlier um what's it called and what's it about uh so it's called Stand Tall Little Girl um and it's basically like my whole journey um of being in recovery from an eating disorder so starting off um kind of when I was a child when things really began and my mum writes a little bit at the start of it as well kind of talking about it from a parental perspective about how she supported it what her kind of mistakes were what the good things were things like that um I then talk at length about hospital treatment and what it was like being in hospital um and then go on to talk about actually kind of that whole journey then of recovery and particularly um focusing on actually what it's like to campaign in this area whilst still being in that space of recovery um yeah and I I guess on that like I think yeah I think it's the way the book's written I kind of hope that it's a kind of a bit like a I guess like a uh I guess like a motivational book for people who are in that recovery journey but also as a bit of an educational piece for parents or carers or people who just want to find out more as well Mm, that's great is it almost did you write it from the perspective of what you wished you'd almost known when you were younger and when you were struggling and when you were admitted into hospital is there part of it that reflects on I guess almost what you would have said to yourself um from now if you were to tell yourself a message now was it written from that perspective at all yeah so this uh the bits of hospital were taken straight from my diaries um I was a serial diary writer from the age of kind of 12 right up till I was 21 um and yes a lot of it was taken from that those sections so there's bits in it particularly when I get towards the end of the book which is reflecting back um interestingly um I've got another book coming out soon which is written um with a psychiatrist and Mm -hmm. that is the book that I wish that I'd had when I left treatment so kind of empowering people to take that next step in recovery what what is that message that you wish you had when you were in treatment so it's 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 just about not settling so I think so often with eating disorders like I I mentioned I think earlier like we settle in this place and then you have to challenge yourself and particularly and I guess actually this probably links back to being a bit of a perfectionist as well is um when you have an eating disorder and you're in recovery from anorexia particularly you will have to get your weight to a certain BMI. Um, Whether you're in treatment or not in treatment, you still have to get your weight within this kind of perimeter. And for people who haven't had eating disorders, they will be okay with their weight maybe yo-yoing every now and again across kind of like, I don't know, five to 10 kilograms throughout a day, throughout a week, throughout a month, whatever. But when you have an eating disorder, you get told to get to this set BMI and then you get fixated on just being that BMI 
So you don't allow yourself to go any higher than it or to go any lower than it, but you just focus on that pinpoint. And so part of the book is actually around how we can get to that space where you get rid of all your clothes that maybe you had when you had an eating disorder. So you cannot go back to that and be triggered back into that illness. Um, it also is about realizing that you're going to have those mistakes in recovery where maybe you go out for dinner with someone and it's a complete and utter disaster and that's okay, but this is how you get back on and keep doing it. Um, and talks a lot about how to kind of deal with that discomfort. I think I think it's it's hard in recovery from an eating disorder because you sit with a lot of uncomfortable feelings and your body changes. And to you, you've got this idea in your head about what a perfect body looks like. And you're probably not going to be that shape when you finish your whole journey of recovery, but actually kind of embracing that new shape and yeah, dismantling the fears around that and what that means. That's really great. You briefly touched on it there, but I know that dump the scales the campaign that you're um advocating for and, and championing is all around us coming away from bmi being how we measure weight and whether you are struggling within within um an eating disorder like because it's it's so constricting isn't it mm. it doesn't allow like your your weight doesn't define whether you're struggling with an eating disorder um how have you found that process of of campaigning for that because I've been following you a little bit on social media and I'd encourage anybody listening to go check it out dump the scales but how have you found that has that has that been a frustrating process yeah and it probably explains why I always look really tired um <laughs> yeah it is it is frustrating and I think one of the reasons it's frustrating is with eating disorders there's just not enough data out there right. so every single mental health trust will record different amounts of data no one will admit to turning someone away because they're not in kind of a low BMI but the evidence kind of from people who send me letters things like that it is so so clear um and actually interestingly um earlier this week I was going through some freedom of information um so I'd kind of FOI'd every single mental health trust across the whole of the UK and looking at some of their figures firstly the data they record is also different but then secondly it's highlighting the amount of people that go into treatment, get refed, then get discharged, and they relapse kind of within three, four months afterwards. And the rates in some areas are kind of like 63% higher than that. And you're just like, this is ridiculous. Um, and I think one of the reasons it frustrates me so much is when you have an eating disorder, you, you struggle to communicate your feelings and your emotions. And so you resort to food as a coping mechanism to show you're not okay. And we we know that we know that but yet we're still judging people on their bmi and on their weight perspective so yeah it has been frustrating mainly because i feel like the government don't always listen to me and mm -hmm. obviously think I, I, like it's it's weird i i know that this needs to change and i feel very passionately about it but it's just one of those things which i think when i launched the campaign in all honesty i thought that they'd understand it i thought people would get it um but i think we still live we still have a lot of stigma around eating disorders. People still think that it's a choice and it only affects really skinny people, but actually it's it's not a choice. And like, it's not just about the food. If it was as easy as just eat, then we would all do that and we'd all be fine. Yeah, exactly. I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Like with, with mental health issues as well, we have this, we have this sentence, oh, you know, just just share how you're feeling or maybe just go to the doctors and get some medication or and just get over it or just do a little bit more exercise or eat you know have some chocolate that'll make you feel better or 
you know, we have these quick fix solutions and we're talking about really complex issues. And we, I don't know why, but we have this weird, weird kind of reasoning within ourselves that we just need to offer a quick fix. Yeah. Like, but it's, like I said, we're talking about really complex, and we're also talking about human beings. Mm. Like, we're not just talking about like a leg on a table not being screwed on properly and therefore need tightening up and then it will be fine. We're talking about human beings, like with complex needs like like you said that have maybe been through trauma have um have their own story have their own needs like we're all made so uniquely so just to have this quick fix solution and to have one scale on to measure whether somebody's struggling doesn't work we need a bit more of a holistic way of looking at these complex issues um so be encouraged because I think what you're doing is really really worthwhile and I know it must be so frustrating because but anything worthwhile takes time yeah so and it does and I think it's I yeah I'm I'm not going to stop until it changes um and I think you're right like it is we we do look at just the weights we don't take a holistic approach and it it is really it's funny is not the right word but it's kind of a bit of a joke how whenever we even look at someone who's overweight we assume they're eating too much but actually they might have binge eating disorder but yet we then tell them to go on a diet or to exercise more. And you're just like, it's not, it's not that straightforward. Yeah. And I remember actually when I went on medication, um, when I relapsed, they kept, one of the things they said to me was like, get out and about more. And I'm like, I've struggled with obsessive exercise in the past. I probably shouldn't be getting out and about more and being encouraged to do that. Um, so it has been, it's definitely been an interesting journey. And I'm, I'm so pleased that I started doing it. Um, but yeah, I just need to keep plugging away at it I think mm. how can people get involved if they want to is there scope for people to get involved so what I would say is kind of have a look at the campaign kind of look think about what you I guess what you would be most interested in doing with it and then feel free to kind of drop me a message get in touch and I can share like a bit more information and work that out with you I think where I'm at with it now is it's been very I guess it's it's very me it's been very me focused um probably for the first I don't know, the first year it was launched and then kind of expanded a little bit, but I really, really would love to have some more voices actually being heard within it and for it not always, yeah, to be my face kind of doing it, but to have other people who actually want to take that forward a bit more as well, because it's definitely an issue that it's not just about me, it's about millions and millions of other people and they need to be heard within this. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all you're doing and thank you for coming onto the podcast today and sharing and yeah just sharing all your wisdom and your thoughts um it's been so good to chat about this stuff um thanks so much hope well thanks so much for having me